Welcome to the Fear and Greed Weekend Edition, the week that was the wrap of the biggest stories over the past seven days. I'm Sean Aylmer. It was a big week for earnings results, COVID cases, share markets, and unfortunately, the crisis in Afghanistan. It wasn't a great week for financial markets. Equities across the globe tumbled, with Wall Street, European bourses, Asian stocks and the local ASX all falling. A couple of things have prompted the change in mood. The US Federal Reserve minutes suggested that maybe, just maybe, the world's largest central bank will pull back on monetary policy support later in the year, which would be earlier than analysts expected. At the same time, the rising number of COVID cases around the world has put a dampener on the economic recovery. There's also been some local factors. Beijing has put a limit on steel production and the world's second largest economy isn't travelling quite as well as it was six months ago. That's hurt commodity prices. Iron ore fell this week, as did copper and nickel prices. Brent crude tumbled on fears that the COVID outbreak in the US and Europe would reduce both air and vehicle travel. Even gold, which is normally a store of value, struggled to make headway. One asset investor sought was a US dollar, and that sent the local unit lower to below 72 US cents. Not that that's such a bad thing for the local economy, because it makes Australian exports cheaper. The big news from overseas was the collapse of the Afghan government and re-emergence in Kabul of the Taliban. Apart from the city's airport, the Taliban has effective control over the country. The images of people clinging to planes as they took off and cargo holes full of people will remain an enduring picture of the evacuation of Afghanistan. The country is in crisis. Economically, it will probably run out of money, and many foreigners, including Australians, are still trying to flee the new regime. One country with plenty of money is China, though investors are getting very antsy about spending capital in the world's second largest economy. That's because Beijing keeps making statements that suggest more regulation, particularly in the technology sector. And who'd want to be rich in China? President Xi Jinping this week provided an outline for common prosperity, suggesting income regulation and a redistribution of wealth. He outlined new strategies to target the upper echelons of society and reasonably adjust excessive income. Reasonably adjust. I wonder what that is. The richest 20% of Chinese earn more than 10 times the poorest 20%. For now, at least. The number of new COVID cases across the globe continued to rise this week with the United States, Russia, Thailand, Vietnam and Germany all reporting big surges. By the end of the week, there were reports that people would need a third jab of vaccine to ward off the Delta variant. New Zealand announced a nationwide lockdown after just one case of coronavirus was discovered, believed to have come from Sydney. It's the first evidence of the virus in the country since February. The COVID crisis back home worsened this week, particularly in Sydney, where daily numbers are now measured in the 600s. Both Victoria and New South Wales have introduced curfews in parts of the states between 9pm and 5am. Victoria's lockdown was extended till at least next week, while New South Wales is in lockdown until the end of next month. It's hard when in the middle of the current crisis to see an endpoint. There's not much light at the end of the tunnel. However, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. More than 50% of Australians have now had at least one jab. 300,000 inoculations are being administered each day. Soon, anyone over 16 will be able to receive a Pfizer or AstraZeneca jab. Once vaccination rates get to 70%, and that's likely in October, things will change. 
Business is already taking things into their own hands. Qantas boss Alan Joyce mandated a no-jab, no-work policies for his employees this week. Manufacturer SPC has already done so. Rio Tinto is working with the West Australian government to introduce vaccines on sites, while Westpac introduced testing for frontline staff in hotspots. Telstra will give any employee that's fully vaccinated a $200 voucher. While the vaccination rollout is now on track, Australia is so far behind where it should be, businesses stepping in is very welcome. It was also the week when companies started laying off staff because of COVID. Qantas, Virgin Australia and Regional Express have all done so. Talking about jobs, the Bureau of Statistics this week said that the unemployment rate fell to a 12-year low of 4.6% during July. Never has such a wonderful outcome been met with so much pessimism. The data counted as employed many people with jobs that worked zero hours because of lockdowns down the East Coast. It didn't include many discouraged workers who stopped looking for work. Economists think about 300,000 jobs will go this month and next, and the real rate of unemployment will push beyond 6%. The Reserve Bank is definitely worried about the economy. Minutes to its recent board meeting shows that the bank left open the way to boost its weekly purchases of bonds, which would keep a lid on longer-term interest rates. And that decision was made before case numbers in New South Wales soared, the ACT went into lockdown, and Victoria's shutdown was extended. The other bit of economic news worth a mention this week was wages data. Basically, there's very little growth in wages in the economy. And if you take inflation into account, wages are actually going backwards. Yet another reason why the Reserve Bank won't be shifting interest rates for the next couple of years. It was a huge week of profits and corporate news. Sydney Airport rejected a $3.3 billion bid from a consortium of mostly superannuation funds. It's the second time the consortium has made an offer and the bid price is well below where the airport was trading pre-COVID. As a result, the board isn't interested. JB Hi-Fi announced an eighth consecutive year of record profits. Not bad. Last financial year, people not travelling overseas had money to spend, and some of it went into new appliances and consumer electronics. That was sort of the trend this week in the earnings results. Bluescope Steel announced a big profit and a big dividend. Government subsidies, low interest rates and nowhere to go are triggering much more spending around the home, with colour bond fencing a blight across suburbia, doing particularly well. Tabcorp said its lottery's business did well, though its wagering business remains a laggard. Coles had a decent result, though things are very mixed at the moment. CBD stores, metro stores and those in big shopping centres are struggling, but neighbourhood shops and, no surprise here, liquor outlets are doing well. CSL boss Paul Perot said governments should learn to live with COVID and drop the whole idea of zero transmissions. He was speaking from Utah, where he's been camped for 18 months because of coronavirus. He was making the comments after announcing a stronger profit for the blood plasma group. Logistics giant Bramble said it was running out of pallets, even though it owns 330 million of them. Retailers and wholesalers busy selling to stay-at-home households are stockpiling them. Newcrest Mining, the country's biggest gold miner, had a record year on the back of high prices and production. Treasury Wine Estate said earnings grew last year, notwithstanding China placing punitive tariffs on its exports. What did help was Snoop Dogg. That's D-O-G-G, two Gs in that. Snoop Dogg promoted sales of 19 crimes. That's Treasury's US drop. And those sales jumped, and they're now 16% of total turnover. Santos said it expected the proposed merge with oil search would go ahead next month. That means there'll be two very big oil and gas companies on the ASX, this one and the Woodside BHP merged company. More of that in a moment. And finally, 
This week, there was Origin Energy. It lost $2.3 billion last financial year. That's $2.3 billion. Lower commodity prices and COVID took a very heavy toll on the company, as did big write-offs and the value of its assets. Even if you ignore the write-offs, Origin's profit tumbled. Now I get to the point of the program where I go through the biggest story of the week, the sleeper story, the most remarkable story, and my favourite story. The biggest story of the week was all about the big Australian. BHP has gone green. Well, it's going green. It will merge its oil and gas business with Woodside Petroleum and try and offload its coal assets, invest around $8 billion in creating a potassium fertiliser or potash business, and end its dual listing structure, shifting its prime listing back to Australia. This is the biggest change for the company since it merged with Billiton back in 2001. And even then, it might be bigger. It's a fundamental change in what the company does, shifting away from fossil fuels and into agriculture. Could you imagine Woolworths shifting away from products wrapped in plastic only to sell fresh meat and veg? BHP's share price has tumbled ever since, notwithstanding it also announced a bumper profit and record dividends. That's partly because of lower iron ore prices, but also because there's a benefit in holding UK-listed shares rather than ASX shares when the deal is done. That's because the UK shares trade at a discount to the local stock. In corporate world, this isn't just the biggest story of the week, but probably of the year and possibly the decade. The sleeper story of the week comes from Crown Resorts. It's only a sleeper because there's so much else going on. It emerged in the Western Australian Royal Commission that a former senior manager didn't think the fact that junket guests walked out of a high roller room at the casino, leaving behind gambling chips worth millions of dollars, was perhaps indicative of something odd or illegal going on. He just thought it was a stupid act by junket guests. Those stories don't augur well for Crown keeping its licence in Western Australia. The gaming giant has already conceded that it will be restricted in Melbourne, at best, and it's still waiting to hear about New South Wales. Potentially, this will be a gaming group without a casino. The most remarkable story came from Domino's. People like pizza in lockdown, fair enough. But what's truly remarkable is how Domino's in Australia has taken over Japan and parts of Europe. The local operation, run by Don May, who's also a big shareholder, owns the rights to sell Domino's pizza in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Belgium, the Netherlands, France, Germany, Luxembourg, Denmark and Taiwan. It's more than 2,800 stores and wants to double that. It is becoming a significant player in the global fast food industry and its share price has more than tripled in the past two years. According to Mr May, it's all about getting a pizza to customers while they're hot because pizza tastes better when they're hot. Not bad for a pizza shop from Brizzy. My favourite story of the week was my chat to Anthony Eisen, co-founder of Afterpay. He and his partner Nick Molnar have just pocketed $2.7 billion each after agreeing to sell the Buy Now Pay Later group to US payments giant Square. Anthony was very open about the deal, why he did it, and what's next. It is definitely well worth a listen. Moving on to this week's interviews, as I mentioned, Monday's chat was with Anthony Eisen from Afterpay. Tuesday's conversation was with Leighton Roberts, co-founder and co-CEO of Sharesies. The group specialises in helping retail investors access the New Zealand share market. On Wednesday, I spoke to Gareth Aird, Head of Australian Economics at the Commonwealth Bank. Gareth isn't very optimistic about the economy for the rest of this year, though he is confident about 2022. The conversation is well worth a listen. 
Then on Thursday, I spoke to former boss of 10 Network, Paul Anderson, about his new studios in Byron Bay. Very idyllic. Finally, yesterday I spoke to David Marshall, the CEO of Defence Bank. Defence Bank is one of the many credit unions, mutuals and building societies that have become a bank over recent times. It was indeed a very big week. If you want to listen to any of the interviews or indeed any of the shows over the past week, all are available on your favourite podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. And don't forget that tomorrow I'll be back with Michael Thompson and Adam Lang from the Fear and Greed team to have a bit more of an in-depth look at some of the news around the place. I'm Sean Aylmer. Have a good Saturday and a great weekend.